Gracious and loving God, thank you for bringing us safely to a new week. We pray that you would bless us as we study the 16th chapter of Exodus today, that we would be fed in and through our study of your word and our conversation with each other. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam. And Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as, Mo and as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, as much as each needed, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece, 
when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses commanded them and it did not become foul and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather and they found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you food for two days. Each of you stay where you are. Do not leave your place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel called it manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations in order that they may see the food with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the covenant for self-keeping. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a habitable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is a tenth of an ephah. Okay, thanks for that great reading of Exodus 16. And one of the things that I'll remind us is that we're reading this book on several different levels. We're reading it historically. We're reading it as the word of God in its own right with a witness to offer us today. We're also reading it figuratively uh, as a type or a prefiguring of uh, Jesus, who will come later, and that—that's wow. how the early church fathers read scripture. And also how um, Paul read the scriptures. And so, I just want to point you to John chapter six, when Jesus says, "I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died." This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so I just share that as an example of whenever Jesus is teaching on himself and his own person and his own work, that he was always drawing on scripture and in particular a lot of Deuteronomy, Exodus, Numbers in order to help people understand exactly what his work was about and who he was. And so in the same way that John will say that he is the true Paschal lamb, right? That's taken from the book of Exodus. Now Jesus is saying, I am the true bread. And so as we have this conversation, I just wanted to offer that little Christological reading into the text. So as we begin with Exodus 16, 
Um, we've just had this amazing event where the people of Israel have been saved. They've seen their captors and oppressors drown in the Red Sea as God worked this miraculous saving act. They have celebrated as Miriam took her tambourine and led the people in worship. And the next day, give or take, I mean, that's kind of the point of Exodus, is that on a dime, the whole congregation of the Israelites complain. And the translation complain is not really strong enough. It's been translated murmur or express resentment. It is the exact opposite of gratitude. And so how quickly God's people have turned to a rebellious spirit is being highlighted by the book of Exodus. On the heels of this miraculous salvation, they are now murmuring and saying, we wish we had died while we were in Egypt, uh, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. And of course, uh, a flesh pot, the Hebrew uh, word is better translated cauldron. It's a place where meat was boiled, but the King James Version translates it flesh pot, and everyone loves that translation, so they, they tend to keep it. Um, but they basically say to God, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us. And so this is not really just a complaint. It's an accusation. They are telling God that God is not good, and they are suggesting that God has malicious motives. And so I just want you to sit with that for a moment. Uh, what is that saying about human nature? What is that saying about the nature of a traumatized, enslaved people that after God saves them, um, not only are they not fully ready to obey God's commands, but they have questions about the character of God himself. And I want you to notice the grace with which God meets their resentment. I'm not going to say complaint because a complaint is a rational thing. This is a resentful accusation. And the Lord meets it with grace. He says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. This bread will save you. This bread will give you life. And so think about that Christologically. Jesus is the bread that saves us, that gives us life. But to stick with the text for a bit, God will rain the bread down. And in the Hebrew, the word is mamtir. It is a word that was previously used in reference to God raining down judgment and destruction. So it's used in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God rains down fire and brimstone. It's used in the flood story, where God rains down water to flood the earth. It's used in the story about the plagues, where God rains down judgment on the Egyptians and their gods. But now God is raining down life and salvation. And so this verb rain, it's meant to signal a pivot that God's people are the recipients, not of God's wrath and judgment, but rather God's grace. And that this is part of what it means to be part of God's covenant people. But that with this grace come limits. And so all of a sudden, we're actually back in the Garden of Eden, right? Because the Garden of Eden was a place of sheer grace, but there were limits and there were tests. For Adam and Eve, the test was, you can do anything you want. There's this one tree, you need to stay away from it. And notice, whenever the serpent spoke to Adam and Eve, they had a similar posture towards God 
that the Israelites have towards God, which is that God does not have our best interests at heart. This limit is a cruel thing that God is imposing on us because God ultimately does not love us. I mean, that was the message that Adam and Eve believed, that this limit is not an act of love. And so in a sense, the Israelites are given that same test. And of course, they're going to fail gloriously. But the test is whether or not they can gather only enough food for the day. Will they trust God enough to know that God will send more the following day, that God will provide for them. And we know how it's going to go from the beginning, right? Because whenever they're saying, God, you're just trying to kill us. And God is saying, can you trust me fully? I will send bread each day. We know that there's going to be a gap here that's going to take a long time to close. Um, I mentioned that there are echoes of the Genesis story and uh, one of the ways that shows up is in verses six and seven, where you have that refrain in the evening and in the morning, right? In the evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord. And that whole rhythm of evening and morning is very prominent in Genesis chapter one, whenever we are getting the creation story. And the reason it's being repeated here is because God is recreating a people and through that people recreating the world, right? So the echoes to the creation story are very, very intentional. Um, and yet, long way to go because the people are complaining, murmuring, and expressing resentment. And Moses tells them, your complaining is not against us, but it is against the Lord. And one of the things I would just offer for consideration is that our complaining always is. At root, whenever we have a complaint or we have a resentment, we might think it's about a particular person, but if you follow it all the way back far enough, eventually that complaint is lodged against God. And it is an instance in which we do not believe that God will send the manna we need to live our journey that he created us to live. Now, you might want to press me on that, and we can dive into that uh, a little bit more in our conversation. But I do think that all complaining at root is always against God and not against human beings. And so the glory of the Lord appears to the people in the cloud. God tells them that he has heard their murmuring and their accusations and says, uh, at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning, you shall have bread, and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And this is God's goal. He wants the people to know that he is the Lord, because in knowing that he is the Lord, they will find their freedom. And so in the evening, we have quails coming up and covering the camp, and quails will show up again in the book of Numbers, um, but being fed with quails is... I didn't know you were well, coming to ask him. Yeah. Being fed with quails is not a um, daily occurrence. Only the manna is. Uh, but the Lord gives quails in response to their complaints. Uh, but what the Lord does send every day is manna, a fine flaky substance. And whenever the Israelites see it, they say to each other, what is it? And I think there's always 
that question whenever we look at the bread that God provides. I mean, we receive the Eucharist every week. Well, what is it? What is this mysterious sacramental bread that is not just bread, but that sustains us? I mean, that's a very interesting question. And all Moses says is, this is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And so whenever the people gathered it, some gathered a lot, some gathered a little, but whenever they took to measure the bread, um, everyone seemed to have the right amount. And Moses reminds them, don't leave any of it over until morning. Because again, there's a test. Is God going to send more the next day? And in verse 20, we're told they did not listen. And I would argue that those four words, they did not listen, characterize the entire book of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, because the wilderness story is about a saved people who do not listen. And uh, it's good to be reminded that in the Hebrew, the word listen, hear, and obey are all the same word. They did not listen. They did not hear. They did not obey. They tried to hoard some manna and provide for themselves. And then we're told that it bred worms. And this is really a great metaphor for what happens whenever we try to lean hard on our own self-sufficiency. You know, you can think probably about an area in your life where God says, let me feed you. Let me provide for you. And you frantically try to do things your own way and it breeds the worms of resentment, anxiety, physical symptoms, depression, right? We know what the worms look like in our life. And I don't mean to say that all symptoms are the fruit of not trusting God, but I think that it's often more connected than we tend to think, right? And if nothing else, whenever we believe that we have to feed ourselves and we don't rely on God and each other, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that that metaphorically speaking breeds worms in our life and in our relationships. Uh, interestingly, the people do not gather bread on the seventh day because it is the Sabbath. And even though the covenant has not fully been established yet, the Sabbath was established in the book of Genesis. And Moses is reminding them that this is part of what it means to be a freed people because God knows they could not keep the Sabbath the last 430 years as slaves. You know, do you think Pharaoh cared much about them keeping the Sabbath? Absolutely not. And so part of their freedom is stepping back to the whole law of creation where God rests on the seventh day and asks his people to do the same. Um, but of course, on the seventh day, what do they do? Verse 27, they went out to gather and they found no bread. And so the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments? And of course, the irony is forever. <laughs> the people will always refuse to keep God's commandments. They'll get it right for a moment or two or a book or two, but eventually they falter and fail. And that's why we have the beginning of Lent, that story of Jesus going out into the wilderness for 40 days, uh, really as the true Israelite, as the true representative of God's people to be faithful in that place where the Israelites were not. Because the truth is, the 40 years in the wilderness will be one comedy of errors after another, one instance of failing to trust God after another. And then, you know, once they enter the land of promise, things don't get much better. 
And so that question, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments? I, I'd say even a question like that prefigures the one person, right? The true bread who will keep those commandments on our behalf, because it certainly isn't found in the Bible itself from God's people in the Old Testament. And so um, the chapter ends with Moses telling the people uh, to keep an omer of the bread throughout all generations as a, as a sign, as a sacrament, uh, to take a jar and to place some manna in that jar, and then to place it before the covenant for safekeeping. And if you've been paying attention, you're like, the covenant? What on earth is a covenant? Um, so later on in the book of Exodus, there is the covenant at Sinai. Uh, we often know that as the, the giving of the law or the Ten Commandments. Uh, and they will be instructed to make an Ark of the Covenant where the tablets and other things are kept. But that actually hasn't happened yet. And so the editors probably put this in as a prefiguring or a foreshadowing of what will be instructed later because they actually don't have a covenant or nor have they built an Ark of the Covenant just yet. And so the chapter ends with the Israelites... Um, eating manna for 40 years, basically the author telling us how God fed them for 40 years until they came to a, habita uh, a habitable land. And, and the whole thing about the wilderness is the wilderness is not a, a, a habitable land, and they're on their way to that land together. And the only way they survived was through God um, supernaturally feeding them. And so the final thing I'd say as we go into conversation is that I think there's something about this passage that invites us to locate ourselves, right? Because we read the Bible on many different levels. It's about Christ. It's about God's historical people, the Israelites in the church, but it's always about us um, as people who are baptized into God's body and God's story. This is also about us just as much as it is about the ancient Hebrews, just as much as it is about other Christians as well. And it occurs to me that we can probably articulate in our life how we have been rescued from the clutches of Pharaoh. Um, we've been delivered from sin and death. Our true Paschal Lamb has been sacrificed for us. Our sin has been forgiven. It's drowned in the uh, waters of baptism, much like the Egyptian soldiers drowned in the Red Sea. So there's a great act of liberation behind us in the same way that there was for the ancient Hebrews. And, you know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you sometimes find yourself murmuring? How many of you find yourselves expressing resentment? Uh, how many of you... Um, wonder if God's really going to feed you and give you what you need. How many of you are looking for the promised land, for a better home? How many of you find yourself in the wilderness? And so part of the beauty of Exodus is uh, we find ourselves, right? Something amazing has happened. We're not slaves. We've been freed. Uh, something has been accomplished, and it's real. And we're on a journey to a better land and that journey is often difficult, and sometimes we act up the way the Israelites did. And so one question I might just pose for you is, you know, this really begins the uh, the, 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 the murmuring narrative 
the resentment narrative, the childish behavior narrative? Um, how might you find yourself acting like a resentful child in this wilderness we call life from time to time? And where in your life specifically do you want to see God feed you? Or do you need to trust that God will provide for you rather than trying to do that yourself and having it breed worms in your life? 